With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast, and we have a special double guest episode for you today. We begin with Brian Scalabrini, the uh, former NBA forward. He's now an analyst for the Vertical and for Comcast New England. We take you all across the NBA. We look at the Celtics-Wizards series. We look at the Warriors and the Cavaliers, what they did. We cover all the bases with Scal. Later, I talk to Bobby Marks, the front office insider over at the Vertical. Some teams that have gone home, the Jazz, uh, looking ahead to Atlanta. A few things going on in the news across the NBA. We dissect that all that with Bobby a little bit later in the show. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, there's a very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, post a comment. It's easy, it's simple, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. Joining me here on the pod, Brian Scalabrini from The Vertical, CSNNE. Uh, we're recording this immediately after Boston's Game 5 win uh, over Washington here in a back room at the TD Garden. That's Scal, how we do it. <laughs> thanks for sticking around here, Scal. I appreciate it, man. I will. I'm going to give you massive credit. I'm thinking this is going to be a knockout, drag out, almost like a little bit what we saw with Houston and San Antonio yesterday. I mean, that was a big-time game. And you're like, I don't know, man. Celtics will get up early in Washington. They could quit. And you called it. It just seems like this Wizards team, and I don't know what you attributed to, but when the going gets tough on the road, they don't really get going. And that's that happened during the regular season. They were a sub-500 team. And it's happened in the, now the first three games of this ser- uh, series. You know, out, Taking John Wall out of the equation, everybody else, if, if it gets a little bit rough out there, I don't want to say they fold, that's too strong, but they can be caught up in the momentum of a home crowd. They can get beat down because of it. Do you think it has to do with them not having like veteran leadership? Like a let's use Joe Johnson because he's fresh in my mind from the Utah series. Is it you think it's because they don't have that type of guy? And it doesn't have to be a guy that starts, but it has to be a guy that's really done something in the league. I think that's I think that's a part of it. I think having a veteran coach on the sideline helps a guy that's been deep into the playoffs before because he can say uh, certain things after you're down 0-2. He knows uh, you've experienced this with coaches before. They know what to say in that moment to to ease your mind. But you know, having a guy in that locker room that's been there, done that, um, Wizards don't really have that guy. I mean, their veterans are you know, Brandon Jennings types and and guys that maybe aren't playing on the back end of the bench. I mean, they these guys aren't inexperienced in the playoffs. The the core has been there, and they've been a couple of rounds before, but they don't have that that one guy. I think you're right. That might have be might be something helpful in these types of situations. The, the two people this off season that they went after Al Horford clearly yep. he would help this team, and Luau Dang. So I don't know, uh, you know, the whole thing. Luau Dang, I don't really know what's going on in L.A. Him not playing down the stretch or anything like that, but. You know, that they went after – it's not like I'm not giving them credit. They went after guys like that. They just didn't get anybody, so they saved their money. But, uh, yeah, it's just – 
I think it's probably tough. They do seem like the more talented team. They seem like the more athletic team, the longer team. But today, the Celtics just had their foot on the gas the entire – I mean, I don't think I've seen a game like like that this whole season. Let's get into game five a little bit just because the focus is always on the stars. It's what is Isaiah doing? What's Al doing? What's John Wall and Bradley Beal doing? But, you know, it seems to me that whatever supporting cast shows up the most in this series – that team wins. For Boston, uh, tonight, uh, in Game 5, it was Avery Bradley early, 25 points in the first half. He was making shots. When he gets it going, it opens up the floor for everybody else out there. The last two games in Washington, I thought Markeith Morris was a major impact player on both ends of the floor. He didn't really have a great game in Game 5. I mean, it, we, we, it's fun to like look at the stars and say, oh my God, Isaiah at 53, uh, he helped them win that game. But if you dig deeper into the box score and you look at the way these teams are playing, it always comes down to somebody in Olenek. I mean, Boston's record during the regular season when Kelly Olynyk had 10 or more points was 26-7. Yeah. and seven. Yeah. When he's making, I don't know what the exact number is when he's making like 38 or 39% of his threes, but it's a really high winning percentage. Yeah. When, the, when these supporting players on either team plays well, these teams end up winning. But it all comes down to the how, right? And I think what, what I saw in three and four was the Celtics really just staying on the perimeter, you know, playing side to side versus like getting into the paint. And I just truly believe with this team, when it comes to Al Horford's performance, Kelly Olynyk's performance, even Bradley, but I put him as a guy that I want to get into paint. I think those rest of those guys just play better when the ball is going into the paint. Now, that, to me, I, I kept saying on air, like, you got to attack the paint. you got to attack the paint. I think most people that don't really know basketball, they, I think they think that means post the ball up. No, it means like relentless drives to the basket and then make the right play. And it doesn't always mean a point in the paint or a shot in the paint. It means the ball hits the paint, the defense collapsed, and then guys got wide open today. And I thought that was the biggest emphasis besides the transition, which they had 17 first half points, uh, fast break points. Um, but I think it's about driving the ball in the paint and then making plays from there. And that's when I think like Markeith Morris plays better. Kelly Olenek, Al Horford plays better, but you know the that ball has to get in. You have to collapse the defense. The Celtics did a much better job of that today than Washington. You know, Washington did a better job of, of three and four. It's funny. Coaches spend all season trying to set a rotation. They want their rotations to be, my five guys start, this guy comes off the bench, playoffs, you shorten it a little bit. That's what every coach wants to do. It seems like from game one of the first round on, Brad Stevens was basically taking a dart and throwing it at a dartboard and seeing what would work. Gerald Green worked from against the Bulls, although I think that was a lot of luck there. I mean, they, Gerald's like the nuclear option. Like sometimes you'll, you put him in there, maybe he gives you 20, maybe he gives you 0 for 10. Uh, in this series, kind of the same thing. It's mix and match. Amir Johnson, I thought he played really well in game five on both ends of the floor. But how unusual is it to see a team like the number one seed in Boston, really having no idea what they're going to get yeah. from that fifth starter every single night. That's so true. And it is kind of unique. And especially just the whole way that the, the number one seed versus the eighth seed unfolded, right? The Isaiah tragedy, lose two games. Now you got to kind of make like, you have to make adjustments, but are you sure you should make adjustments? Because was it because of what happened? Is everyone sort of like was in zombie land games one and two? So as a coach, I think it's really difficult. And I think Brad sort of committed, like, we got to be the best of ourselves. And ourself is Amir Johnson in the starting lineup. Now, he does pull them pretty quickly and go to a different, a different way. And that small ball lineup is pretty good. But I do think when Amir plays with that type of energy, and he does for like the first six minutes, he's really good for the team. And I, I think he also helps with the, the mindset that they had today with pushing the basketball, the 17 fast break points, the attacking the paint. So I thought it was, overall it was a really good move, but it does seem like from one to two to three to four, all the way through the series, he has been searching. So these two teams are battling. Meanwhile, the Cavs just kind of hanging out, just sort yeah. of laying low. Wait, we figured this out. In the NBA, you have in every 30 days you play 16, 17 games. Right. So LeBron, and if this goes seven, LeBron's going to go – Eight games in like 41 days. <laughs> How are you going to beat LeBron when he's played eight games in 41 days? This, this makes, as a columnist, Scal, it, it makes me almost want to like eat my my paper from all the ink or, or metaphorical <laughs> ink that I wasted saying, oh, God, LeBron's so tired. Ty Lue, you're playing him down the stretch. What yeah. are you doing? The number one seed. What's Why aren't you going after it? Meanwhile, they're sweeping teams and taking a week and a half off. It's I unbelievable. Know. I'm waiting for like the LeBron... Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, like banana boat someplace. Like they're taking like two days. <laughs> in the middle of the playoffs. Yes, a banana boat trip they're, to the Caribbean. He had to have gone to Miami. 
had to take like, a couple of days. You you know you're getting off nine days. It could be more. You had. I mean, he had to go to Miami for three days. Mm-hmm. Every time LeBron has a break, he's running to Miami. Yeah. So he had to go to Miami. So it is. It's so great to be LeBron now. Also, we were on him a little bit about playing heavy minutes, but I found out that it was all pre-planned. Like his trainer was saying. How many minutes are you going to play in the NBA Finals? Well, that number could be 42 to 44. Okay. Well, if you're going to play that, you got to get used to that. You can't just flip a switch and be good during that time. You know, he had the issues with cramps, you know, in certain times. But I heard that his trainer said, all right, we, we, you kind of like pull back early. You, you build up at a certain time. And then towards the end of the season, you take those games off. I, I heard it's not – Tyron, I know they make it like as T. Lou, but I heard it's no, much there bigger are, than that. No, there are other people behind the scenes yeah. kind of pulling the string. And, and how can you argue, man, with whatever LeBron wants to do? Yeah. He looks like he's 21 years old out there. Yeah. I am not – he wants to go to Miami for three days. He wants to do whatever – he can do whatever he wants. I, I don't think anybody has a right to say LeBron should play in every game because clearly what he's doing right now – look at the people in his draft class. Bosh, Wade, Darko. Who else? I mean, uh, I mean, Carmelo. Carmelo in his draft like, all these guys are like falling off the face of the earth, and LeBron is going stronger than ever. It is whatever he's doing, like, like he is doing it right. It's it's surreal, and this is why it does. T- it takes a it takes a special kind of coach to to coach that team because you do have to know that you're not necessarily in charge of everything there. Like there are going to be people behind the scenes saying, "Well, LeBron's going to play this many yeah, minutes. Yeah. LeBron's going to go there." This is why I always say it's tough to coach stars. I mean, you, you worked you, under Agreed. Doc Rivers, under Tibbs, a lot of stars on those teams. It, 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 you have to kind of subjugate yourself in yeah. some ways. You've got to put your ego off to the side and allow other people to have influence on your coaching decisions. And I don't think there's more than a handful of guys in this league that can that can actually do that. Agree, agree. I think what people think, uh, and I mean, the media is probably the worst, I would say, that they look at T. Lou and say, like, come on, anybody can coach LeBron. Like, that is the furthest thing from the truth. The furthest thing from the truth. Like, it is probably – and and T. Lou got a lot of heat for saying, uh, I have a really tough job. And people in the NBA that know, like, if you're coaching Michael Jordan, Shaq and Kobe, you're coaching LeBron, you're coaching the all-time great type of players, we know how difficult that is to do. It's not easy. And the people people think, oh well, because you have LeBron, you, you can just go out there and win. It's way more complex than that. And I, and I don't think T. Lou gets the credit he deserves. It's just in general, the GM survey came out. He wasn't in the top ten. Like what? What coach that just won a championship would not be in the top ten? For That's that? he should be in the top ten. It's ridiculous. I mean, even if you don't think that, you have to put him in there because they won the championship. They came down from three one. They won a game seven on Oracle at Oracle. Like, come on. Like, I don't. You're, you got to, I don't know what you could possibly think that. And then the media, and then like, even like the general, like local media here doesn't believe that T. Lou does a good job. It's like, I, I feel like I had to go on like a rant for like five days explaining to everybody, you have no idea. You should just shut up right now. It's, it's not easy to take over a team like that. If it was, there'd be more than a handful of coaches of the last 15, 16 years that have won championships. Guys like Pop and, and now T. Lou, they share a certain characteristic that they can take over teams with massive ego. Spolster was the same way. Yeah. Spolster, and Spolster never got the credit early on Agree. either. Agree. Now he's considered like this great coach. But, uh, yeah. you know, you remember back in, what was it, like 2012 when, when they were playing Boston and, and Boston went up and that was a game game six they won in yeah. Miami or something like that like Spo was he was on the hot seat oh like yeah he, there was talk of like firing him yeah. after that year now he's like this this great young coach talked about being in the hall of fame like yeah. I don't think I think it takes time for people to realize just how good some of these coaches actually are yeah and I and I think it's it, it takes people a while to understand like when you're staring at and we all and we know this I don't know if the rest of the world like when they see LeBron they're like man he's a beast but like they don't know that he's actually probably the, one of the smartest players in the league, and he knows every play that you're going to run, and he knows every move. You can't just tell those guys anything you want. You can't just wing it. You got to know. If you don't know, he'll look at he'll look right through you and disrespect you. It's just you have to understand what you're dealing with. One of the one, of, I think to me, he's the second best player of all time. And I, I mean, I might be right or I might be wrong on that. I don't know. And he's also really smart, and he has this drive to win. And you think that's easy to coach? Like any type A personalities on the highest level in any business, 
they're not easy to deal with, but that's why they're so successful. You know, I think what, what really, and this has been said before, it's worth saying again, what would work for LeBron and made him better was that Miami experience. Yeah, going no down there, it was like going to basketball college where he had to go down there. His whole crew didn't have a run of the place. It was just him. It was basketball. Spolster made him a better post player. Pat Riley taught him lessons about winning. I don't think we'd be having the same conversation about LeBron if he stayed in Cleveland after 2010. He still might have won a championship, yeah. but I don't think he'd be the same player. I don't think yeah. you'd be saying right now he's the second best player of all yeah. time. I, I, think I agree different. with that. There, I mean, you look at the, the the jumps that he made, and then like we should also give Dwayne Wade credit for that, right? Like he's a part of that as well. He won a championship, so he had it's you know, and and we can say whatever we want. Look at the Miami culture. Like, I don't care if you put the best player with the most physical attributes in that culture, that guy's going to really excel. I mean, they do a lot with a little all the time. Look at Deion Waiters this year. Oh, and, and James Johnson yes. this year. Like, so you put LeBron in that situation, then you're going to get the most out of him. You know, it's like I'm really rooting for my boy, uh, Jared Sollinger, to go down there and like, dominate the league. Could change him. You're right. You know, that's like it's like when Grant Hill went to the Phoenix Suns. You need to go to a team that had that kind of training staff yeah. to rehab your leg. That's a good point. I didn't think about Sollinger going down there. He'd I mean, be, Sollinger's so good, he's out of the league. But, yeah. you know, so going back to LeBron, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Like, he almost had to learn how to do all that. You know, like to, it, probably there was sort of an expiration date on that Cleveland team eventually, and he was going to be frustrated. So, you know, as as much as people want to say, even the Cavs, like like they or the Cavs fans that didn't like it, in return they got Tristan Thompson, they got uh, Kyrie, the, uh, Kyrie, they got the number one pick to get Kevin Love. So it sort of all worked out for for the Cleveland Cavalier fans too. I don't want to project too deep in the conference finals because I mean I, I honestly think between Boston and Washington, the winner of this series kind of wins their season like Boston to get I mean to get to the conference finals is a major step forward for the Celtics number one seed whatever Washington same thing Um, what Scott Brooks has done with that team another guy that I don't think gets anywhere near enough credit I mean he was just he was shit on so much in in in, in Oklahoma City as the roll the balls out kind of guy when I thought the player development aspect of Scott Brooks was never fully appreciated I mean Sam Presti drafted those guys and a couple of them were surefire guys but even Westbrook was not a point guard when he got there uh, Reggie Jackson, late 20s pick. Same yeah. thing with Serge Ibaka, late teens. Yeah. Uh, I think we're now seeing that Scott Brooks is more than just that type of guy. But if they get to the conference finals, I mean, it's almost like throw the party then. Like have the party then because you know yeah. against Cleveland, it's just impossible to think anything goes longer than six games against a team like that with either yeah. one of these teams. Well, I mean, do you think, let's, let's, let's talk about something that we can actually, because we, we know Cleveland's going to win. Who has a better chance, Celtics or, or Washington? I, I would I would I would say Boston. I think I give them a slightly better chance because of the defensive stoppers they have yeah. in that backcourt. Maybe you can get a game where Avery Bradley just harasses Kyrie into a three for twenty shooting night, and maybe cross your fingers the combination of Jay Crowder and Jalen Brown have some success against LeBron. But I mean, you're you know the margin for error for Boston is like paper thin, whereas yeah. with Cleveland it's the size of a yeah. truck. And I I feel the same way. I I think Washington because they have you know they're more athletic, they're longer. I think you have to have length to win. It's amazing when Cleveland comes to town, and you're like you're like oh man, look at this heavyweight battle, number one, number two, and then you just look at them and look at us, and you're like oh man, like we're five nine six two six five six ten, and they're just like. I mean, Kyrie's not huge, but J.R. Smith way bigger than people think. LeBron's mm-hmm. six foot nine. Like Tristan Thompson's huge. Kevin Love's six ten. I mean, like they, they're just bigger across the board. And I, I really think that. And LeBron is really at his position. He's a, a matchup nightmare. Like, like no coach could ever figure him out. He will just continue to switch. If you think you got him figured out on the perimeter, he'll take you to the post. You think you got him figured out there, he'll take you outside. He'll run pick and roll. So. LeBron is just a matchup nightmare. I don't. I don't know if any of these teams will have a chance. So the way they humiliated the Raptors was astonishing uh, to me. I thought the Raptors were going to give them a run for their money, and the way that they—I mean, forget games three and four with Lowry out. Those first two games, just running Toronto off the floor—that was—that was a statement to me about where this team is and where everybody else is because the Raptors were built to compete against them this year. I know. You make all those deals, you spend all that yeah. money, and to get your the doors blown off in four games where LeBron's just messing with you. For most of that series, he was just messing with them. That was... Grabbing the beer... The, the spinning of the ball, the <laughs> perimeter. I mean, he is just, he is, you know, the guy on the playground that knows he's so much better yeah, than you. Yeah, yeah. Does that mean, does that change what Toronto's doing? I, I think it's going to make some decisions tougher for some guys. Here's the thing I wonder... Kyle Lowry, 
you know Toronto's going to offer them the most money, whether it's a full max or that full max is two hundred five. It, it's going to be, but I think they're going to go pretty high for okay. Kyle Lowry. What does he do? I think San Antonio is lurking out there for a point guard. I think one of the marquee point guards is going to and get it's a not sub- Derrick Rose, right? It's not Derrick Rose, okay, Chris but I'm Paul. thinking Chris Paul, Ky- uh, Kyle Lowry, and maybe there's somebody else out there that I'm not thinking of at the moment. I think they're lurking for one of those playmakers, and they'll be able to put together a substantial offer that won't be what they could get somewhere else, but they'll basically be saying to one of those players, put your money where your mouth is. You want to win? We've got Kawhi Leonard. We've got LaMarcus Aldridge. We've got Greg Popovich. We're built to win right now. Yeah. We dare you to take this offer and come down here and play with us. I'll tell you what. I am I'm. I don't think that that's the right move. I really? think signing a 31, 31-year-old point guard for the San Antonio Spurs, I don't think that's the but right But the way move. that they're able to preserve guys and – Keep them for four years. I would uh, because I think if you do that, you lose Patty Mills, which I'm a big Patty Mills yeah. fan. And then I they I might do. have to do that anyway, though. He might get a big contract from like Philadelphia or one of these other I teams. I think they'll match him. Like my man who's coming off, and then and then uh, Powell's the big question. You know, Powell's the pro- got the opt in. The problem is like Dejounte. Is that how you say it? Dejounte Murray. Dejounte. Dejounte yeah. Murray, who I love, played awful <laughs> in those games in Houston. I, know. I mean. All he had to do was just be solid, but I, I mean, I don't blame him. You're like all of a sudden, you're not playing, and you're out there, and Patrick Beverly's hounding you everywhere you go. Like it's a tough situation, but he's long. He's he's pretty good. I I don't think that they would want to give up on him yet, and maybe they don't. Maybe it's because you know how the Spurs do it. Like everyone sort of have like a position, but not position. Positionless basketball for them, the way they want to play. Outside of, I mean, they're one twos and threes, but uh, I don't think that they offer Lowry or Chris Paul because. Of their age, I think they look to say we go get meals, but you never know with them. You just, I mean, you never know. Parker's still on the books. I just don't know what they're going to do. But I mean, they made the play for Aldridge. They made the play for Aldridge and got him. Is that the right play? I mean, look, Lamarcus won Game Two for him. Uh, Yeah, he he was great. I think in in that. But is that like the foresight of not of not seeing how the game was changing? Which they were like the like the spearhead of that with their. With their three point shooting and everything, and they've like gone away from three point shooting yep. into min and min range shooting. It's like they changed the league, and then they went back to the old way. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a mistake. I, I don't know if the Aldridge thing, which nowadays when you actually look at the money, it's really not that bad. You know, like I think it was ninety five million dollars. I don't think it's like, the Marcus Aldridge at the time. Now, if he was a free agent, it would be like yeah. two hundred million dollars, but. I just don't know if uh, if the way that they want to play, if that's the right way for them to take that next step. But they still have quite Leonard. It's going to be interesting what they do. I really believe. It. I I don't know if they're going to go to the thirty two year old point guard or thirty one year old point guard and sign him for five years or four four years. Okay, a couple last things I want to get to. Um, the Celtics not only could be playing in the conference finals on Monday, they could get the number one pick in the draft on Tuesday. Lottery night, huge for Boston. Um, you know, I. I do you think I think that Danny Ainge has like a whiteboard somewhere with like ten different scenarios about what he could do this summer? Like whether it's uh, you know whether it's real or, or, or figurative, you know I, I could go out there and I could trade the number one pick for Jimmy Butler and sign Gordon Hayward, and we could have this team be competing against Cleveland yeah. next year. Or I could gut this roster of players. I could draft Markel Fultz, and I could be kind of playing the long game and build it around young, budding stars like a Fultz and a Jalen Brown and, and, and that direction. Yeah. I, I think that – I don't think anything is off the table, and I mean that literally. Okay, I, I don't think anything is off the table for Danny Ainge. But, but there is an option one, right? And yes. then there's an option two, and then everything is – like. When people say, well, what should the Celtics do? See, I think so much of this has to do with free agency. I think it's – I don't really understand why we draft first and then do free agency last. Why wouldn't you see what you can do? But maybe it just – you know, hey, it is what it is, but free agency lasts forever, so you got to get your team and whatever it may be. But I think free agency is the deal. I don't think that we could trade. Because when you trade, you have to give up assets, right? Not just picks. You have to give up guys on the team. I don't think that we could trade, make any trade out there and be and get good enough to beat the Cavs. I do believe, though, that if you sign a guy like Gordon Hayward and you, you get him for nothing, right? So not cap space, but no, not giving up any assets. Then you can trade your assets and you could do certain things to make your team more championship ready. But I don't, I don't believe that you can make trades and get to the point where you can beat Cleveland 
in the next two or three years. I don't think so either, and that's what makes this draft so interesting. I mean, I think, I think the number one pick, you it's got to be Fultz. If you yeah, get it, yeah. you have to draft him, and you figure everything else after that. I mean, I don't think Isaiah would be all that happy. Uh, no matter what he says publicly, but I think you have to draft a player with the potential of Markel Fultz. But after that, at number two, even though it, it could be you know uh, Lonzo Ball, I'd be very open to moving it. If I could yeah. convince you know one of these you know teams, whether it's Indiana or, or Chicago, to to eventually part with their star, I would give up the number two pick in the draft as part of a smaller package for one of those two players. The number one, no, number two would be on the table for me. And would you give up three guys on your roster? No, no, I, I wouldn't. So you're saying like the price of Jimmy Butler has dropped. The price of Jimmy Butler to me has dropped. And you know what I would say to Chicago? I would say you can have the number two pick, but as part of a package, I want your 15th or 16th pick back in return as yeah, well. I got you. I, I think that pick is so valuable. And you know the Bulls, they're so point guard starved out there. They love a great point guard. They want to find the next Derrick Rose, the next guy that can lead their team. If they have a chance at Lonzo Ball, I think they would be very and, – and the way they talk at the end of the season, it, it was very – there wasn't anything definitive. Like, Jimmy's our guy. We're no, building around Jimmy. Nothing. Like, there's nothing close to that. <laughs> no. So you can't look at that and say, like, they're committed to Jimmy. Like, there's no – No, there was nothing definitive in what they had to say. No, not at all. So if I'm the Celtics, and, and I would – and, you know, the same thing's true with Paul George. Like, they're going to make Paul George an offer at some point. And if he says no, you know, Kevin Pritchard has to be proactive on this and look for – for, for deals. So I, I would, not that number two pick, I mean, I think you, you know, it, everybody in Boston wants to keep everybody. Like at some point, this team has to kind of be broken up. You've got guys overseas right now, the young players. Yeah. You've got, you get so much, so many guys, and there's, there's only so many, how much cap space to go around at the end of the day. Yeah, you yeah. can't keep, look, you can't keep Isaiah, Avery, Marcus, and Terry Rozier long term. You can't do it. And draft. And draft these guys. You, just, you can't have, there's no such thing as a 20 man roster. You can't yeah. have these guys out there. So yeah. it's, I, these are tough decisions. But I think where they're at right now, the decisions become really easy because you're only making moves that are either going to A, make you compete for a championship now mm-hmm. or make you compete for a championship later. Like that's it. There's no like, does this guy help our team out? Maybe we can squeak in. Maybe we can get to 7C. It's none of that anymore. Or there's no more like, let's just get rid of this guy and take a future first. You know, There's none of that anymore either. So all that stuff that happened in the last three years, Wheeler Danny or right, Trader Danny, whatever they want to call him, I think now it's like as, as clear as day. Can you do this? Does this help us win a championship? Does it not? And if it doesn't now or doesn't in the future, let's not do it. And I think that's where they're at now. So... There are a lot of decisions to make, and I don't know if you can just continue. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think you can just keep this roster going for 10 more years, but whatever the scenario is, it's going to be as clear as day. I, I think if, if you could package the second pick and two players, two players from this, this core – um, to get a Butler or a Paul George, I would jump on that. I mean, because those so guys. You're not afraid of Paul George is like nah. leaving. No, be- I'm really not. I always think that this this the L.A. stuff is always like a red herring to me. It's just you know I believe yes he wants to play in L.A. But you know this guys at Paul George's age they're not just going to go sign with the Lakers so they can be a Laker. They want to win. And the Lakers over the last two years have been so dysfunctional. Now, maybe next year, if the Lakers look they have some direction, if that team signs a couple of guys, they get to like 35, 40 wins, maybe Paul George says, all right, add me to that mix. A couple of years, we can be good. But if they're still like a team that's battling in their 20s and, and is playing the way they played the end of last season... What, guys don't want to like Russell. The Russell Westbrook stuff going to LA was always a myth. I think Russell Westbrook signs an extension with with. Oklahoma oh yeah, City. for sure. Like I think that I, everybody used to connect Russell Westbrook to LA because he went to school there and he's you know from that area. You know, Paul George it might be more realistic, but if he gets traded to Boston and he gets to be part of the, of the Celtics organization, part of a winning franchise where the fans are just like, I mean, they're as behind you as as virtually any fan base in the entire NBA. I'm sorry, I, I believe it's a risk worth taking because I think he'd resign here. I think yeah. that combined with the money that Boston could offer him, I don't see him just leaving because he likes to live in LA in yeah. the during the season. Yeah, I'm 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 real hesitant on Paul George I hear because you. it was like as soon as Magic got the job, it was like this all these rumors surfaced. Like it was almost like the next day. So I'm I'm hesitant that they he doesn't have a relationship with Magic or something along those lines that I would be like, man. 
you you trade the number one pick, the number two pick. You trade a couple guys in your roster, and he bolts after a year. That's catastrophic. I, don't see, I honestly, I mean, I get how Magic Johnson is a plus from a, a a perception standpoint, but if I'm Paul George, I'd be more impressed if they hired away Sam Presti or if they dragged R.C. Buford out of San Antonio. Those guys have a proven track record no, for building championship teams. But he's not Magic Johnson. Didn't we go down on. this road with Phil, though? Like, didn't we go down this road with, like, the guy that's never been a GM before? Well, that- I, will, I will say this. I think as soon as Magic got there, he's like, well, we got our pick, and it's top three protected. What are we doing winning games? Yep, they went I straight think, into the tank. I think he was like, no way. We don't want to win any games, and, yep. which is – dude, you, you can win GM of the year for doing something like that. Yep. Like, can you imagine – if they were to finish like fourth or fifth, worst record, they probably will. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you don't, I don't root for anything when I'm in the lottery room. But you know, if I tell you what, if, if it was like the Lakers and the Suns finishing at four and five, that wouldn't bother me at all. If Just the Lakers, because no, no. uh, the that's the Phoenix, then it's the 76ers pick. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. If they're outside the top three, that pick conveys to Philadelphia for for the Lakers, the Lakers, but yes. not for Phoenix. No, 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 no. no Phoenix, it's they get catastrophic the for the Lakers yes. if yes. they finish outside the top three. Yes. Catastrophic. Like the like they're push their organization because those guys just aren't. Then that you're good. not getting Paul George. <laughs> then you're yeah. Then you're really unless not. you gut the team, trade all three of those. No, young no, players. you're not doing it. And and that's the thing because the guys that they were bad and they got Julius Randle, uh, Russell, and Ingram, but they're not good enough. Like those guys, we know. I don't know how good they're gonna be, but I know they're not good enough as those three to like take their team to a championship level. Even if you add Paul George, they still need to add one more guy. And probably that guy would be Lonzo Ball, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, could you see them passing on Lonzo Ball? If they no, did? they might be. Yeah, no, I, I don't see them passing on Lonzo Ball. I, I, think it's, I think it's a tough call for them at one just because – Fultz is going to be that guy that gets to workouts, and he is going to blow people away because yeah, he's that good. Yeah. And he is, and, and all of a sudden you're going to you know forget the hype around Lonzo and remember this guy's substance up in Washington. And you know he was kind of off the radar because of the team he played on, but he is he's really good. No, he's like really he is good. he is something. Most GMs I talk to say it's him, him, him at one, and it's this it's really not close. Lakers might be different because of the yeah. UCLA stuff, but um, that would be a UCLA pick in some sense because of what he is. What do you think of Josh Jackson? What do you even hear? good? I like Tatum more, though. Do I think you? Tatum's kind of Carmelo-like. And I say oh, that like in a good way. I think he's just a scorer. Yeah. So you have ball fourth, like I do. Uh, no, no, I, I would take ball two. I, I would take him... Oh, over Tatum. Over Tatum, yeah. I would take ball two. And, I think Tatum-Jackson, I would take Tatum over Jackson. Do you have? So is it that your order? Yeah, Tatum three, Jackson four. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, don't, I have ball four. Yeah. I don't, I'm not... I'm not It depends, though. Like, let's say like the Suns... If the Suns get get two, you've got to take them because then you play with Devin Booker. Yeah, for the yeah, next, okay. Agreed. You have like a backcourt that can score, and you know it could be a fifty point per game backup a backcourt in the uh, in the next season. Yeah, that's a good point. If 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 the Suns get the number one pick, they're taking Folks. I would think so. I would I would think he's the best player, but I think they could be incredibly dynamic with Ball at the at the yeah, point there. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no question about it as. The, as the draft started getting closer, that those two teams really went for mm-hmm. tank mode. And I understand from the Lakers' perspective why you do it. And the Suns thing. They weren't even hiding it, though. Earl Watson was saying <laughs> management decision. Like, that was basically a fuck you to the NBA. That's what it was. It was a giant fuck you to the NBA. I mean, but it doesn't uh, – this whole system is all it's, all – it's all out of whack, right? The idea that – it was supposed to help a team out. Now it's like teams are doing it on purpose. It's, yes. just, it's all sort of messed up. I told, I keep going with this. Andrew Bogut had the best idea. The team that almost gets into the playoffs should get the number one pick. Get the most chances. And just think about it. Like Miami, right? Do they do they deserve to get like that mediocre mediocre pick? No. No. Like if you look at what they did, they they deserve to have the best chance to get the number it one pick. It should be Miami, Denver, and Denver got screwed by the fact the guy they traded to Portland made the Blazers so much better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Turned them into a great team at the yeah, end of the season. Like those two those like a number one pick would make a big impact on those guys. Oh yeah. Like how much better would it be? And then down the stretch of a season how unbelievable would those like Nets Philly game? <laughs> it would just be so unbelievable. Oh yeah, street fights. Like the the crowd would be just like so into it. I I totally think like the idea that we give the worst pick to the worst team, and it, I mean the best pick to the worst team, 
and people are actually going for that, like trying to be the worst team. It's 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 so backwards. And it happens like a month long process where they just keep losing games. Uh, lastly, I got to get your take on what happened on Monday with with Kevin Garnett and yeah. your ex teammates up there. Okay, uh, what did you think? Just your your so, thoughts. So so here's like here's the thing about so those guys are talking about Ray, and people in the media are talking about those guys. So I'm not going to talk about guys talking about other guys' decisions. You know what I mean gotcha. by that? Like, it's just one of those things where I don't necessarily care any about any of that stuff. Now, I wasn't here when Ray left. So I don't, you know, like, I remember Ray as, like, I remember the big three as totally different. 2010, we were three possessions away from winning a championship. The next year I'm in Chicago, right? right? But... I'm not. I'm not gonna do like. I'm not gonna say that those guys are at fault, and I'm not gonna say that Ray's at fault. I wasn't here. I don't know how bad it was down. You know, at the end, I do know this. This is what I do know. Ray was the subject of a lot of trade talks, and I know that when free agency started, I do know that Jason Terry was signed with the Celtics, right? So, and I heard that, and this is I'm not 100 percent sure that LeBron called Ray Allen a lot during you know like the, and LeBron didn't have to there wait. was a recruitment I don't think it was just LeBron either I think it was Dwayne Wade I yeah. think they were trying to get Ray Allen to come down there yeah so I can like I can totally understand why he would you know you got weather championships Pat Riley you know all that stuff I can totally understand why Ray Allen would go and say and, and seek out another championship and and he got it so I I don't it's not like I don't but I do understand what those guys are saying at least call us and tell us right and everything will be okay, but it it seems like a really complicated thing. I will say this: when I was here, those guys they were they were the best. Yeah, all three of them. And I thought, you know, like we were a competitive group, super competitive group, and everyone was always like we were playing dice games or card games, and everyone's betting on shots and shooting games, and it was just nonstop all the time. So I can't imagine two years later how crazy if, if the breakup would have happened, but. You know, I could totally see why, how it unfolded the way it did. Well, they were, I mean, look, just just what we know from the outside, we know Ray was involved in trade rumors, like you said. We know that Avery Bradley was starting to emerge. Yeah. And I don't think that Ray was all that eager to be back in a situation in Boston where he'd be a sixth man behind an Avery Bradley. Maybe you can do it in Miami where Dwayne Wade's down there. It's a whole different type of, of scenario you're stepping into, but... I think think things were kind of pushing him out the door, and really, and I'm just guessing here, but as much as they talked about Ray not calling them and saying all that stuff, I, I got to believe that where he went was the big the big part of that. Like they had been waging yeah, they had been waging war with Miami yeah. for the last couple of years. All of a sudden, one of your key guys defects and goes down down to South Beach and and, and plays with them. I got to think that probably stuck in their craw a little more than than anything else. Yeah, I mean I, that has something to do. You're up three two on the Miami Heat. You're one game away from going back to the finals and yep. playing Oklahoma City, and then he leaves. But like from Ray's perspective, I got, is that is that crazy to think with LeBron and D Wade calling you, and you know the trade rumors and the six man and Avery Bradley? I can totally understand why he would want to leave. So That's, that you know, just pivoting to that 0708 team, just list seeing Doc in there and all those guys talking, it sounds like you guys were a bunch of lunatics. Like just like no, the hyper it, intense It was crazy. It was it sounds like yeah, everyone oh, there was, was no crazy. chill going on no, with that team. No, I mean from crazy arm wrestling contests to bets to bet like if uh if the film guy would start the film and there would be something wrong and there was like a delay, right? Like someone would rip out a dice game, really. Like, like it was like there was like the dice games going on in the middle of the plane. It's just it was the most. I've never, I've never been around a group of fifteen people who were that competitive. Of every, I mean, everything. Like I'm a, I'm a competitive person, but like it got to the point where I was like, well, I, I gotta, I gotta step away from this because this is gonna end up really bad for me. This is not. I'm like. I can't rise to that level on like card games and dice games, and I just can't do it. It's like I can't live my life like that. But I was, like, I was in all of that early, and I was like, no, man, I, this is like this is going downhill fast for me. <laughs> it is. It was bad. So for me, like I like I could totally understand why those guys were upset about it because they're some of the most competitive people I've, and I've been on teams with Jason Kidd and Kenya Martin, but. And those guys are ultra competitive. Don't get me wrong. 
But 1-15 to 15 across the board, everyone had like a screw loose on our team. But that's why I think that team was so good. Well, Doc was talking about the competitiveness of the first and second units. He was oh. saying just like the, the, the wars, it sounded like he was saying you guys waged in practice. No, it was, it was insane. Because, you know, like second team, they're always trying to like, we had Big Baby and Leon Poe, and those guys were always battling out. We had the one-on-one games on one side and the G unit one-on-one games with like Kendrick Perkins, Big Baby, and Leon Poe. Like those are the guys who were posting up. And we're on the other end. Me, Sam Cassell, Paul Pierce are playing one-on-one on the other end. And these games are going on. And we're like, Paul Pierce plays 40 minutes a night. How is he out here doing this? And, and, and but it was just constant. There'd be guys on the sideline betting. We, me and Sam Cassell, had our, our one-on-one games before the games were so intense that the crowd started to show up early. And they would make signs like, Scal, today's you're going to get Cassell. And like, Cassell's the king of one-on-one. Like, and they would start cheering for us. It was the most intense group I have ever, ever been around. And I, like I said, I could totally understand why they feel slighted by Ray Allen. I, 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 because when you're competitive, that's just how you are. Like, we want to say that it's okay for Russell Westbrook to be upset about it. Like, it's not, like he'll never get over that. It's mm-hmm. just how it is. And there's something to be said about being highly competitive in this business. It's kind of cool, actually, think about it. Everyone's friends nowadays, right? And like, this was... This is a team you went to war for, yet you you turn your back on them. Like, forget it. Now I'm moving on, man. That's how it works. I love Pierce and KG before games they played. Like, there's no hand slaps with them. Pierce always walks right to the circle, bends over at the knees. Yeah. And there's no, there's no friends uh, on the other that's side. Super old school on the other side. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a that's something. And I mean, I, look, I think the league's in a great place right now, and uh, I think the skill level of these guys is unbelievable. But that is something that is seriously missing. By the, know, by the way, speaking of, of of no chill, Perk just nonchalantly blurting out that yeah, KD and Russ are talking again. They're just uh, they're uh, yeah. Is that true? That well, that's what Perk says. Perk says like that he. I don't know if he brokered the phone call or that after Russ broke the triple-double record that uh, uh, KD and Russ had a conversation. We're back on speaking terms. That's just vintage perk, just like letting it out. I remember, Scout, when when the Rondo-Chris Paul stuff got, got heated between those two guys. It was when I was in there just talking to Perk about something else, and Perk just blurts out that Rondo thinks Chris Paul's the only reason Chris Paul's good is because he has the ball in his hands all the time. He says Rondo thinks that. So I tweet it out, and it becomes this massive you know, shitstorm that ultimately leads to these guys yelling at each other in the hallway the next time they meet during a game. That When Perk said that, I was just laughing. I'm like, that's vintage. <laughs> that's classic Perk. Just like, you know what? I got some news. I'm yeah, going to say it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. no big deal. He says KD didn't want to tell the media, but I'm just going to put it out there. That's, that's all good. Classic Perk. <laughs> I didn't know that he said that. I wonder... If someone asked KD about it and if he denied it. I'm sure after the fact, and, and when this podcast comes out, I think it'll be when when uh, a couple of days after that, that happened, but I'm sure somebody's going to ask him about it. And I, yeah. look, I think Perk's telling the truth. He said KD texted him, said they, they he and Russ talked, but it was just like middle of the show. Just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like here's a bombshell for you. I'm Kendrick Perkins. I'm just going to... Uh, you know, Perk is a phenomenal teammate. Yeah, he's everybody says He's always talking so. to guys and like he's like, you know, Perk is off the charts, man. Like he doesn't... I don't think that he gets the credit that he deserves for being that you know that fifth starter on that team. But man, I thought I thought like he was he was a he was a great teammate that always would like sacrifice for the guys, you know, and not like get his ego in the way or anything like that. He was like that team was that team was a special team. Yeah, no question. Scout, appreciate right. it, man. No, you it's late. It. Thanks a lot, man. You got it. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. My thanks to Scal. Before I get to Bobby Marks, I've got to tell my audience about the new Tile app. What if you could find anything within seconds? Now you can with Tile, the tiny Bluetooth tracker that makes finding your things easier than ever. Simply attach Tile to your keys, wallet, laptop, even your bike, anything you don't want to lose. Finding your things is easy. Just open the free Tile app on your phone to see your lost item on the map. Then, quickly, find your item by making your Tile ring, and it'll be back in your hands in seconds. And if it's your phone that's missing, just double press on your Tile to make it ring, even on silent. Every day, over 2 million lost items are located with Tile. Join the millions who have used Tile to help find their lost stuff. Get yours today at gettile.com slash Mannix and save up to 30% per Tile on a multi-pack, plus free shipping. And because Tile makes the perfect gift, for a limited time, get a free gift box with a multi-pack order. 
Here's how you get it. Go to gettile.com slash Mannix. That's gettile.com slash Mannix. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Joining me now on the pod, Bobby Marks, front office insider over at The Vertical, former assistant GM uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. Bobby, thanks for joining me, man. Um, We've got a a few things to talk about here because the season has come to an end uh, for a couple of teams. We've got the Toronto Raptors, uh, their season now over. And with the Raptors, I don't know if you can, how much you interpret, Bobby, based on public comments, but what I hear from Kyle Lowry, who talked to Woj after Game 3, and DeMar DeRozan after Game 4, it's a pretty disheartened bunch, isn't it? A group of these guys just not only they get swept by the Cavaliers, but you know to, I mean to 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 feel that way after the the game that that maybe the gap is just so uh, insurmountable. What did you think of what you heard from the Toronto guys afterwards? It sounded like a mentally fragile group, Chris. And I I thought after Game Two, going back to um, you know Toronto for for Game Three, if if the Raptors could get off to a good start, that would be the key there. But uh, the way that Cleveland has played, uh, how they played them last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, how they went through them four games this year, uh, and now with a lot of different questions uh, going into the off season for the Raptors, with you know start, certainly starting with with Lowry, but. That does not sound like a group that is ready to overthrow the uh, the defending uh, NBA champions, and and that would be my concern if if I'm uh, Masai Ujiri bringing back the same group and, and running into the same problem because, as you know, bringing back this group is going to you know certainly come at a cost. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that cost there because Kyle Lowry is going to opt out of his contract. Yeah, he's going to want a big deal. I mean, how how high do you go with a guy like Lowry who's still in his prime, but you know at the back end of this deal he's probably not going to be. I wouldn't go up to the number that Mike Conley signed last year, and that was right around $26 million, mm-hmm. Chris. I mean, I, I have a lot of concerns with Kyle Lowry, and, I, and he is a good player, so so don't get me wrong there. But he is 31 years old. The last two years he's been top two in the league in, in minutes played uh, for a point guard at right around 37. And uh, I've always said, you know, when I look at player contracts, are you, are, are you rewarding a player for the past or for the future? Um, and if if you're going to pay him, you know, twenty five, twenty six million, that's not rewarding him for for the future because when you get to years three and four, uh, at least the production level will, will not be there. Um, and he's grouped in with it's a good uh, free agent class. So, I mean, I'm I'm thinking more like twenty. 21 right around there, which probably won't get it done in Toronto because there'll be a team out there that will, will sign him to uh, you know a, a 20 million plus uh, plus contract. And if you look at yesterday or you know this game on Sunday, was the uh, you know Corey Joseph, Delon Wright, you know Fred Van Vliet road that model there of, of is that how you know if you're Raptor management is that what you're looking at for for next year? And I think. You've got to prioritize your free agents with Lowry, Ibaka, Tucker, Patterson, that group, and bringing all four back just won't, wouldn't be wise. Yeah, and, and Lowry's going to have to make a tough decision here because the teams that have cap space, and we've talked about this a few times, but the teams that have cap space are not good. You know, you're looking at Philadelphia, New York, Sacramento, uh, among others, and the teams that, that might be contenders in the Western Conference, outside of San Antonio, there's not really a team with a need for a point guard. I mean, most of the teams not only have a point guard, but they've got an A-list point guard uh, out there. So, I mean, Lowry might have to decide whether he wants to take a little bit less money to stay in Toronto or go for that max-level deal because I do believe that one of those you know awful teams in the East, whether it's Brooklyn, the Sixers, somebody else, will give him or offer him the type of dollars that will exceed what Toronto's going to offer. No, you're right, and you know it's it's if you look at the the free agent market, uh, the likelihood of a lot of these players probably staying. So that kind of keeps those players at home. If it's you know George Hill, and we can talk about Utah in, in a little while here, or or Jeff Teague or Drew Holiday, and even even if if Teague or Holiday went elsewhere, it doesn't create. Um, and the same with uh, Derek Rose in, in New York, it doesn't give them that amount of money to go out and, and pay Lowry twenty million plus. And and you hit it on the head. The teams that need a point guard are. Uh, Philadelphia that has a, a a ton of room, but are are they um, you know going to go the Ben Simmons route at point guard? Did, did they find something more pressing as far as maybe from from a wing standpoint? Do you get backup help for for Embiid uh, with Brooklyn? You've got Jeremy Lin already, so how much money do you want to uh, reinvest in, in that 
that position. And uh, it's like the center position. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the center position is locked up. There's a lot of uh, centers out there that are uh, under contract. Um, it's not a great market. Um, so for Lowry, he's going to have to make decision. You know, he's, you know, it's interesting. He signed that contract right after we had, I think we had beaten them in the, uh, in the first round and it's a below market contract. So yep. I will give him that it's 12 million per year. It was three for 36 and he had, he had earned that. Um, so, and he has certainly justified that. So, it, you know, I understand the, the decision to opt out, which he, I, I just read that he, he's going to now it's, he's had seven days from yes from Sunday to, to do so. Here's the one team that I'm I'm curious about, Bobby, is San Antonio. And and I still look at the Spurs as being a, a sneaky kind of dark horse to land a top point guard. Uh, they've got the, some fluidity with that position. Patty Mills, uh, he's going to become a free agent. And that team can make a legitimate argument that they are one high-level point guard away from being a real competitor uh, for the Golden State Warriors. Now, I don't know. You know the financials of the Spurs better than I do. But I look at San Antonio, whether it's Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, uh, somebody as being kind of one of those lying in the weeds team that would be able to offer winning, even though they couldn't offer the most money. Well, and it's funny, Chris. You, you know, you talk about teams, and that's why I never say that a team that's over the cap can't create uh, room. And uh, we've seen RC Buford the last couple summers. If you, if it's Lamarcus Aldridge or, uh, or even last year with uh, Pau Gasol. You know, right now they're at they're they've got ninety three million in, in guaranteed contracts. The Gasol number sixteen two will likely opt into that. Uh, you've got some player options with Dwayne Dedman and, and David Lee. So you're you're right right below the cap, but then you also have you know the Parker injury now. Uh, Patty Mills is a free agent. Jonathan Simmons. So to be able to land a Kyle Lowry, uh, you know, you can even put Chris Paul into that equation. That will cost you probably thirty-five million. You're going to have to probably gut this roster. I think Gasol opting out would certainly help. Uh, you'd probably have to find a, a home for you know Parker or, or Danny Green there. Yeah. It, I just never count out San Antonio. Never. And could you imagine? Never. <laughs> could, could you imagine too? Like if Kyle Lowry really wanted to win, I mean, if it was, and I'm not questioning his, his his desire to win, but if it was just about winning, he'd find a way to go to San Antonio because he seems like a perfect spur. Uh, just a defensive, hard nosed guy can make shots. Has been an All Star uh, veteran. He would fit in almost, I think, flawlessly with with what he's doing with the, with Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge in that crew. I, I think he's the – I mean, Chris Paul obviously would be a phenomenal fit as well, but if you're not getting the, the marquee guy, if Chris Paul goes back to the Clippers, Kyle Lowry to me would be a home run for the Spurs. Well, Chris, if, if Lowry was coming off a big contract, and, and I know $12 million is a lot of money, but from for an NBA terminology, um, I can certainly understand that he's made, you know, $64 million in his career. You know, he's, he's this is his third contract, and this is the most he, he's ever made. So if he was a player that was coming off a of max uh, and w- this was his last probably big contract, then I, I can understand that. But I, I could see him and, and, and his agent, Andy Miller, you know, looking for, um, you know, certainly financials will come into it you know Philadelphia you know does make sense because it's home uh home to him uh I would certainly stay away from it from a, a team like Sacramento and, and and I would say the same for the for the Kings I, they don't need a Kyle Lowry where they're going from a from a rebuilding standpoint all right quickly on the Raptors one more is Serge Ibaka who's going to be a free agent as well we heard during the season that Serge was going to be looking for that max level contract I don't know that you can hit the market after being swept the way they did by the Cavs and say you deserve it but I mean how how would you gauge the market for Ibaka this summer well he's the third best power forward on on, on the board that I see with uh uh, Blake Griffin and and Paul Millsap. I, I thought once he was traded to Toronto in, in mid February, he kind of uh, you know reinvented his game a little bit and kind of got back to that Serge Ibaka that we we saw in, in Oklahoma City. Not that defensive presence, but it looked like he had more life than than he did in in Orlando. So uh, it's a position of strength, the free agent market for power forwards. It's a deep class. I mean, we wrote up. The, the power forwards last week, and I could have probably written up 20 more guys there because the, it's a long list of of players. When you look at the three we just mentioned, you can, and I even include guys like Rudy Gay and Gallinari because I think they're power forwards, you know, stretch fours this stage of, of, of their career in, in the guys in Memphis with Green and Randolph. So it's a deep pool that he's going to be competing against. It's not like he's a two guard. So I think he is in. 
Uh, I think he's in that twenty million dollar range. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit less. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me if it's if it's maybe in the high teens. So I think that's where that's where his his number is, and in his in his late you know late twenties there, and that's that's a hard that's a hard number to uh, you know hard number to pay. But here's the question with Toronto, Chris. They've got seventy six million in guaranteed. You look at their roster, and let's say um, no Lowry and no Ibaka. Do you have confidence in the back end with uh, Siakam, Podol, uh, Lucas, Bruno, DeLon Wright? Uh, we saw Norm Powell give some good minutes. You got Fred Van Fleet, and you've got your pick. So, at the end, eight out of your players that are going to return next year are are guys on their on their rookie contracts or you know first or second year players. And and I you know what we've seen out of Demar Demar Carroll since he signed that that contract there is, is that he's a shell of himself from from those Atlanta days. So if it's not Larry or Ibaka, um, has Toronto ever been been that hotbed to go out and, and re- recruit? And that will be the the hard part for Masai. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard for Masai. He's going to have to convince ownership to really open the vaults if they want to bring all these guys back, because they will be taxpayers. If they have to, um, you know, pay the you know, the market value for both Ibaka and uh, and Kyle Lowry. All right, let's um let's talk about the Jazz here for a second. And nobody expect the Jazz to beat the Warriors, so I'm just going to throw out the result of this series. But uh, this is a team on the rise, a team that did everything right this past summer. Uh, what's the next step here, Bobby? Obviously, Gordon Hayward has to be priority number one. You've got to, I assume, right, offer him a full max contract, roll out the red carpet, try to stave off Boston and bring him in. But is it as simple as that? I mean, is there, you know, obviously, you know, George Hill's a free agent. They've got a couple other guys hitting free agent. What's the next move for the Jazz to, to improve on this, you know, second round sort of finish? Well, a couple things. They've got two first-round picks, which certainly helps uh, for uh, for the, from a roster standpoint. They've got their own, and they've got that uh, Golden State pick. So that, those are back end twenty-four and, and and thirty. So that's that's kind of the the, the first step here. Hayward's got an option, player option, uh, for sixteen point seven next year. He's got to June twenty ninth to to exercise. He's that, opting which, out of that though. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. And even Chris, even if he would earn, because there's that little bit of that clause there where if he earned All NBA and he opted in, he's as eligible for the designated player veteran. You know, I, I don't see that. Uh, I don't see guys him, take hey, the money. Guys yeah, the I don't. Money I don't see him opting in and playing on a one year to try to get an extension because for Utah, you don't even have to offer him that. So uh, I, he'll opt out. And if I'm Utah, I don't fool around with him at all. I give him the full max, and, and you go go from there. And it, it'll be, you know, thirty million. That's where his his number will start out. You've got some um, non guaranteed guys, Diaw, uh, Rule, Neto. I, I would, you know, certainly want to bring those two back. Um, and then you've got the George Hill factor. I mean. And he's had a good year when he's healthy, Chris. But that's my concern. And it is where is that toe injury going to be? Is he going to need off-season, off-season surgery? Uh, another guy who's in his early 30s, um, but has been certainly really good for this team. You saw it in that that Clipper series. Unfortunately, you haven't been able to see it really much in this this Golden State series. Um, so health will be a concern. I think you've got to rely on your medical uh, staff. Regarding his contract, you've got uh, Ingles, who's a restricted free agent. Shelvin Max, unrestricted. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I was just going through Gobert's contract. He's going to make another million dollars, so you'll have a million dollars in cap hit. He's going to wind up getting all defense, which is going to be five hundred grand, and then he's hit some statistical bonuses, which is another five hundred. So, the money keeps on adding up. So now you go from a, a Utah team that was thirtieth in the in the league in payroll, last in the league. To probably a you know a top ten twelve team and and that's the 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 I guess the um, the negative side of of drafting so well. Yeah, let me ask you about Hayward in particular because he's going to get a max deal. He's going to have to get a max deal from the Jazz because somebody else out there, namely Boston, is going to offer him a max deal. Do you look at him as a franchise type player as a number one option on a winning team? Because I see Bobby why the Celtics are going to go after him. If you watch Boston play. Their need for a second wing score is 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 noticeable. Uh, Jay Crowder does some great things defensively, but he's just not consistent enough offensively. And way too often, it's the Isaiah Thomas show out there for Boston. Uh, I see why the Celtics will will extend him that type of contract. And of course, the Jazz, you know, they have to extend him that contract. But is he the guy? I mean, is he a, a franchise type player to you? You know, he showed me a lot in that Clipper series, Chris. He really did. You know, especially Game Seven to kind of put the ball in in his hands and be able to make make some some big shots. And 
you know, it's and I wrote about it last year. What defines max players? You know, it's it's the market. I mean, unfortunately, it's the market. It's not the, the max. Usually, was a usually a superstar type player. But uh, do I see him as a top ten player in the league? I don't. I mean, I, I really don't. I think he's a really good all star level player. Uh, I don't put him up there with you know the Kawhi Leonard's and the Durant's and, and that that group. But he's probably a cut. Uh, a cup below, and I and I think his best years are certainly still ahead of him. Um, I don't see a downsize, you know, with we, kind of he has he you know missed his window to from a production level. I I think he's only going to get better here, and I think that's why that clip that Clipper when we talked about that Clipper series was huge because now he he can go into you know this series with Golden State. You can see what where the the shortcomings are. You can look at the uh, George Hill being out as a possible factor. Maybe it would have been a little bit more more competitive here. So. Um, but he is certainly a, a, an exceptional player, a franchise-level player. I, I don't think so, but th- there's not that many guys who are. All right, let me finish talking about Atlanta and the Hawks and, and the organizational shuffling they did uh, over the last few days. Mike Budenholzer stepping down as president of basketball operations. Wes Wilcox, the GM, reassigned to another position uh, within that front office. They are on the hunt now for a, a de facto head of basketball operations, whether it's a president or a, a, a GM. Um, it, it's interesting, Bobby. You don't often see a guy with the type of power that Mike Budenholzer had give up that power. What did you make of, of the, the, the shuffling of the front office there in Atlanta? It's rare. You're right. I mean, especially in the day and age when uh, we we see it in uh, Detroit, San Antonio, um, the Clippers with with Doc Rivers, where um, when you get that power, not many people want to give that up. So I, I give him I give him credit because usually your ego kind of gets in in the way there, and and it doesn't usually end well. So. I certainly give him credit to have you know bring in somebody maybe with a little bit of a different vision with this um with this Atlanta team who who you know another team that's it's kind of at a crossroads here they've you know they've been to the playoffs what the 10 straight years here and I think if you could retool and uh, in a cost efficient approach it would be great but I think that went out the window last summer when you when you paid Bazemore and, and um you know Dwight Howard and now you've got uh, Millsap and Tim Hardaway Jr. to figure out. And, and so, like Toronto, another team that you bring the core back or, or this whole roster, it's, it's going to be in the 120 to $125 million range for a, you know, a, a, you know they're, not, they're not where Toronto is. I, I consider Toronto a really good team. But, you know, Atlanta is kind of a middle of the pack uh, Eastern Conference team. It's got to go, um, you know, the fine line to get in the playoffs. They're kind of in that, that back end mix. Um, and any misstep, they'll be they'll be on the outside looking looking in here. So, you know, how do you how do you take a step back with you know without without um, you know totally gutting it? The Howard question, the Howard role is is going to be the the big thing though, Chris. Is, and you saw him in the fourth quarter of, of games uh, five and six. You know, he really didn't play there. So, what's his role going to be? Hey, here's my thing with the Hawks. Um, you know, Budenholzer is still going to have a voice in personnel decisions. That was made clear by ownership in the aftermath of all this. With that being said, I just wonder how appealing that job is. And look, it's one of 30. I get that. An assistant GM somewhere uh, would probably jump at the opportunity to take that job. But I think they're – honestly, I think they're a bigger mess than 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 you're even suggesting there. I mean, the mistake, the mistake they made – was not trading Paul Millsap at the deadline. Because this was the most likely outcome this season, Bobby, where they go into the playoffs, they get into the first round, they give someone a fight, and then they bow out. And now you're, you're kind of stuck paying a 30-something-year-old forward who has had diminishing returns, at least from beyond the three-point line over the last couple of years, uh, you know, 20-plus million dollars per year. And you've got a front court in Howard and Millsap that are – you know, on the, the the downside of their careers, or are going to be deteriorating with their careers as things move forward. I really thought they should have traded Millsap at that deadline, even if it only got back that uh, Serge Ibaka package from the Raptors, the Terrence Ross in a first round pick package. I think that would have at least continued what they started to do with that Kyle Korver trade and begin to rebuild around Dennis Schroeder, Torian Prince, some of the other young guys they have on the roster. I, I would. My first question, if I was a GM coming in would be how much autonomy do I really have? Mike Boone doesn't have the title, but is he still in charge of personnel decisions? Because if he is, that's not a great job to have, Bobby. No, Orlando is more appealing. 
to, yeah. to be honest with you, as far as what the, the jobs are, are, are open here. And I think whoever is that person in Atlanta, they, I think they have to have a prior working relationship with, with the head coach there. There's got to be some type of familiarity because if you come in with a certain philosophy. Is there anybody and, left in the Spurs front office to hire? <laughs> I don't know. Is, do we have an intern kind of in, the, uh, in rising <laughs> through the ranks there? <laughs> I mean, anybody? Anybody left? Oh, I know, but no, because if you don't, if you kind of bring in an outsider, you're going to wind up button heads with the coach, and and that's when we we talked about it, Chris, at the um in February down, during the deadline when you have a coach who's the head of basketball operations and you're tr- at the trade deadline, you're you're not worrying about the long term health of the organization. You should be, but you're worrying about you know how do I get into the playoffs? What's my next opponent there? So, um, and now he you know won't have to worry about that, but he'll certainly still have a um still have a role here. Yeah, my understanding of of Atlanta uh with with Budenholzer was that it's it, it it was a classic example of the dangers of a coach being the president as well because as a coach you have a fierce loyalty to your players. Your guys are out there in the trenches with you. You're fighting for them day in day out. As an executive, you kind of have to have sort of a cold-heartedness. You have to sort of and you can speak to this, but you have to I think take out of a step back and and look at these guys as much as assets as players, and and I don't think that I don't think Budenholzer was really able to reconcile uh, those two things. That's the, I think the biggest reason why he decided to step down. Yeah, I mean it goes back to having realistic expectations. You know, the the coaching staff sees it one way, and the management sees it from a different way. I, and I, I understand that. The, the coaching, you know, from the head coach on down to the developmental guys is in the trenches with them. But from the management side, it's 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 to be, put the best product on the court while also retaining flexibility down the road. I mean, I think if you ask Doc Rivers, you know, would you like to have that pick back for Jeff Green, uh, you know, a couple of years ago that you, you know, you traded for an expiring contract because he thought the player would help you? I, I, I certainly would think he would say yes, but probably at the time he needed a, you know, a, a you know, wing or a big and, and – Green fit 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 the mold for him. So, um, but it's hard to separate the, the the two there. Yeah, I agree with you, Bobby. Thanks for uh, jumping back on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Brian Scalabrini and Bobby Marks for joining the show. A reminder: you can check out archive podcasts on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating, post a comment. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 